Hello everyone, enjoy days 3 and 4 of the Outplay Finals as we rush to the climax. You already know the winner as this comes out, but sometimes it's more about the journey than the destination. Enjoy. The bishop stood almost in disbelief as the Terran walked straight towards him, ignoring the unholy hellfire rained down on his head. Those peculiar spectacles had protected Rocky and all of his belongings, and more importantly, looked really good while doing so. The massive elemental then looked down at the bishop, adjusted the glasses with one finger, and asked the question. Really? To add to the intimidation, Magna had cast an illusion that made Rocky look even bigger than he actually was. Wow, Bartholomew whispered to himself. Even he couldn't resist being intimidated by that level of coolness. He made a mental note to confiscate those glasses as soon as his battle was over with. As cool as Rocky was, Igaris's words were equally captivating in their befuddlement. In this case, not because what Igaris was saying was complete baloney made up on the spot, but rather, it was an accurate assessment of the situation and showed a depth of insight that surprised Bartholomew. Magna using her magic to avoid the hellfire was no surprise. Rocky avoiding flying stones was no surprise. Even Igaris talking nonstop was no surprise. But actually making sense? That did shock the bishop. Magna had suggested something, though, that, despite his current state of awe and confounding, prompted Bartholomew to think of something that happened in the not-so-distant past. I don't get it, Sir Ether said, looking at Bartholomew from across the table. I see what benefit the Grey Guard will get by being the only adventuring guild around, but I don't see why that will help you. Did you know there was once a time when the world was a charming place? One could go about doing their work without anyone getting in their way. I could collect souls and nobody bothered to stop me. Then the Square of the Nine was formed in an attempt to keep the world in balance. The more they interfered, the worse things actually got. So not long ago, these adventuring guilds started popping up everywhere, trying to right the wrongs all the chaos was causing. Now one can hardly kick an annoying neighbor's cat without some doofus being paid to come find the culprit and bring him to justice. So when you collect souls then, I take it you're not talking about growing your congregation? Sir Ether asked, starting to put the puzzle pieces together. A congregation of sorts. As far as they know, they're in a place of bliss, free to do as they like. A comfortable stay for all eternity. In any case, per our arrangement, the Grey Guard will leave me alone to do my work. It's that simple. Get on with it, should I? Bartholomew said breaking his gaze from Rocky and staring down the Swamp Witch. As you wish. The bishop reached down and picked up a chain that had previously been invisible. As soon as his fingers clenched around it, a terrible chorus of screams echoed from down the stairs. Some amount of energy was being sucked from the life force of those poor souls stuck inside Fu's bar and ran through the chain like a conduit into Bartholomew. He laughed a deep, rumbling laugh that resembled the growl of a massive bear. Instantly, he started to change. The human skin exterior of the man split down the middle, and his insides grew larger and took a new form. Where there had once stood an old feeble-looking man now stood a massive demon even taller than the magically augmented Rocky. His basic form was still human, but his skin looked like red raw meat and was as hard as stone. The transformation had momentarily left Bartholomew disoriented, giving the companions a precious few moments to act. So focused is Rocky on maintaining his act, on intimidating the bishop with a cool, fixed stare, that he doesn't notice Magna's illusion at first. Thanks to this fortunate ignorance, he receives the witch's message 
before the scary ruse has a chance to frighten him. It is a hard-won victory for the elemental and the dwarf, for trying to teach Morse code to Rocky was an unmitigated disaster. The Bowerberg courthouse is probably still covered with molasses. Fortunately, Magna was clever enough to develop a simpler code that even a Terran could understand. Steady rhythmic beat equals groovy. Random irregular beat equals yuck. It's good having friends who can explain difficult concepts. Rocky is relieved to learn from both Igorus and Magna that it is the bishop who is the true blight, not him or any of the other companions, which is good, because a blight sounds bad, even if he still doesn't know what it is. But the elemental remains confused about the fates of the souls in Fu's bar. They seemed content the last time he felt them. Yet Magna is quite confident that Bartholomew intends to hurt them. This confusion vanishes the moment the bishop transforms against a soundtrack of anguished screams. So that's how souls make you more powerful. Even though the bishop demon now towers over him, Rocky feels a curious sense of relief. Of course, he is still anxious. There seems to be a never-ending expectation that the big rock monster will bash the bigger evil monster, even though that's not who he is. But he takes great comfort in knowing that magic is no longer a threat, far more frightening than any armored leviathan is a frail wizard who can alter the laws of the universe on a whim. However, the problem remains. How can they defeat this demon and save the souls of their friends? Severing the chain that acts as a conduit would be the intelligent choice, which marks that as a task for his friends. Instead, Rocky notices the demon's raw, exposed flesh and is reminded of something someone said. Something related to his sandy form. What was it? Silicone dioxide crystals are incompatible with my internal mechanisms. No, that's not it. What does silicon dioxide have to do with sand? And just remember, sex on the beach might sound like a good idea, but sand gets everywhere. Do you understand? Everywhere. You'll be chafed for weeks. Is this how to defeat the demon? Should Rocky rub him the wrong way? Or is the key to spread himself everywhere? Something is still missing. Wait. He remembers it. It was a girl, no, a lady, whom he'd never seen before. She was kissing one of the crossing companions goodbye at the chapel this morning and giving some parting advice. And most important, don't forget to exfoliate. A foaming sand scrub won't just give you the perfect beach bod, it'll release your inner beauty 
Remember, a good sand scrub is good for the soul. Soul? Of course. Rocky just needs to scrub away the demon's outer layers to release all the souls that have been sucked inside to make him so huge. And, maybe, it's a highly improbable thought, but the naive Karen can't help himself, maybe a sand scrub will release the demon's inner beauty, too. Perhaps he's just misguided, like Sorbo, and just needs some help. Rocky signals to Magna with a single stomp on the ground. His secret code for telling the witch that he's about to do something. They're still working on refining the code to say what he is going to do. Fortunately, he also announces his intention to the demon in a deep, encouraging voice. Help make you groovy. It's time to give this demon the beauty treatment. The elemental dissolves into a huge pile of sand, which immediately starts scouring its way up the demon's legs. Rocky's diamonds lead the way, keeping all the individual grains linked via mutual vibrations in the ether, not ether, and scratch deep, crisscrossing grooves wherever they go. Higher and higher the sand ascends, between the butt cheeks and into the belly button, until it is everywhere, abrading everything it touches. There was something else the lady, not a girl, said. Cucumber slices. Hmm. Hopefully Ronky's diamonds are an acceptable substitute. But was it cucumber on the eyes or in the eyes? The Terran has always had a bit of trouble with prepositions. Perhaps it's best to do both, just to make sure. So it is that Rocky and the demons see eye to eye as a pair of diamonds start boring their way into Bartholomew's skull. It was a victory, of sorts. Or a small step towards one. For now, there was nothing to react to. No immediate danger. And while Igorus was closer than he ever liked to the front line of the fight, he was still filled with confidence and courage. He had mastered the art of self-deception long ago, well before he'd ever attempted to grow facial hair, and had perfected it while he persisted with his disastrous attempts in that direction. Unheeding of the derision his beard had drawn, Igorus had primped and preened it daily. With this skill, he had armoured himself in magical courage, the same as he had Magna and Rocky. Now, it seemed, the bishop had been deceiving a lot of people. Not only did he look like a respectable citizen, much like Igorus, he was a fiend on the inside. A little like Igorus, who was something of a rogue. Deceit was Igorus's stock in trade, and he managed to do most of it without even lying. After all, Heroic tales could not literally turn aside a blade or a monster's claw, but Igorus convinced people they could, and, therefore, they mostly did. Magic was a strange phenomenon, he mused, including this demon's efforts with the chain. Why use a chain? They were heavy, 
cumbersome and tied you to a location. Surely a purely ethereal conduit would be better. Perhaps even a construct of self-belief and fancy. Surely that was how the bishop was working, for no mundane chain could conduct souls. That was it. Break the chain and the power might be released. But which chain? Should the physical form or the metaphysical concept be the first target? Happily, Igorus felt he had a way to do both. He darted forwards the last few steps, even as Rocky dissociated into sand. A clever move, that, from the Terran who never thought in the same straight lines as everyone else. Instead of attacking the demon, a daunting task even for someone the same size, Igorus went for the chain, thrusting the tip of his father's sword into a weak-looking link. Though it was not the mighty blade Igorus believed it to be, it was sturdy steel, and worked well as a pry bar here. The attack on the bishop's self-confidence, and his belief in the chain, would take a different, wordier approach. You sound so obliging. The last time I heard a tale of someone saying, as you wish, it was a love story. The young man had been saying, as you wish, to a woman who bullied him as if they had been married for decades, instead of being his own age and an entitled beauty. Marriage is, I am told, a wonderful, but also a terrible thing. The sorrow and woe that is in marriage, he quoted. Wait, stop giving me that look. You're about to argue this has nothing to do with marriage, but you'd be wrong. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Marriage is the union of souls. What is your chain, if not a union, however forced and unholy, of souls? Answer me that! Igorus coughed, interrupting himself before the demon bishop had a chance to reply. Or don't, because quite frankly your opinion is worthless. You have probably been lying to yourself about a lot of things, like the hard red skin and shape-changing being scary. You probably think you're something special, but all of us here have seen worse things than you. But back to marriage. No, I am not proposing to marry you. I'm not sure man-demon marriages are even legal, and I would not chain myself that way. In fact, I wouldn't even chain a demon that way. I dare not speak of it no wickedness, lest I fall myself effed in such dotage. I will not say how that it is the chain of Satanus on which he gnaweth ever. You see, even the poets knew, and poets are not the most worldly wise people I have ever met, that marriage is a chain, a tethering, that ties you to a single person or place. So you see, if you cast off your connection to these souls, break this chain, you can become free. You can act for yourself not as a servant tied to this place. You are missing out, you know. Why, if I had been married, I would have seen but a tenth of what I have. Marry not, good sir. 
Give yourself no chains to gnaw and go, be free. With the last words, Igorus gave a mighty heave on the hilt of the sword, one booted foot keeping the chain in place. If he could just leave her open one link, he could lift open the chain and disrupt the demon's connection. Like so many wise cadets before him, Bartholomew did exactly what he was told by the fierce dwarf, but Magna's scowl only deepened as he drew upon the power of his captured prey, sucking their lifeblood like a miserable leech. The chorus of tortured cries was instantly recognisable to her, but the yelps and moans didn't give her the same pleasure as they did when they came from her annual team-building gauntlet. These were not screams of development, not the whining hiss of heating blades being plunged into icy water, this sound came from a confused ensemble, agonised by crushing pastoral bliss. There was no tougher test for warforged metal, but she knew that they could endure it. The bishop's skin split open like an overripe banana as he tugged at the chain and peeled down his emerging new form. Magna shook her head with a look that was decidedly unimpressed. And that's supposed to scare us, is it? It was clear that something needed to be done about the chain, but even as she fought it, she saw Igaris heading there. The corner of her mouth twitched into a fleeting smile. This was not their first rodeo, although it certainly was turning out to be a bumpy one, and they had shed enough sweat together to have a feel for what must be done. At the same time, Rocky gave her the doing a thing signal and weathered down into a granular mass of sand. The elemental grated his way up the demon's body, his strange liquid consciousness highlighted occasionally by the glinting motion of his roving eyes. Between them, Rocky and Agaris had the two angles covered, which just left her with the role of supporting them both. Support was important. It was the difference between a healed bone and a lifelong injury. It was the difference between a masterful archway and a pile of rubble. Then again, it was hard to support Agaris when he was spouting such youthful nonsense. She took a moment from glaring down the monster to chastise the young rogue as he harped on about the sorrow and woe that is marriage. You're talking out your ass, Igaris, she pointed out bluntly, turning to him as if the demon had ceased to exist. Of course, the merchant's son was just trying to make a contextual point, and it wasn't like she was trying to undermine that, but youngsters these days were so cynical about love that they wouldn't recognise it if it slapped them in the face. He hardly had the right to wax lyrical about it. What she had known of love and marriage had been wholesome and enduring. She'd known from the start that her husband's life would be shorter than hers, but the years they had shared living and travelling together had easily been worth the years of distress and sadness she had endured after his passing. To assume otherwise, to cower from love in fear of unknowable repercussions and imagined shortcomings, was to sleepwalk through life. You've no right to talk about love if your only experience of it is hussies and traders' daughters. Probably a bit harsh, but that had never stopped her before. She gestured wildly as she spoke, sprouting a few weedy vines in front of her which flailed in uncertainty, their tips seeking first the dashing rogue as she waggled her finger at him, then the towering monstrosity but never quite settling on one or the other. A relationship's give and take. Sure, there's a chain, but neither of you should be a ball. You both do things you don't enjoy to relieve the burden from the other. If that's not how it is, then it's pointless. It was a distraction, as well as a life lesson, because behind the demon, now hopefully exfoliated to the point of agony, a third vine rose up like a serpent. You'll understand one day, just don't settle, and don't let whatever people say stop you from trying something. The vine behind the demon lunged forward and snaked itself around his neck, tightening and pulling with all the force Magna could manage. Her voice became more strained as she dug her feet into the ground and pulled against her staff. As pressure built up behind her eyes, she rounded the point back towards the demon and his chain. 
Anyway, the point is, you both have to be willing to give, or the strain will be too much, and... She waited until she saw Igaras make a violent levering motion with his father's sword. It'll break. A sandstorm chafed the demon while Igaris tried to break the link between Bartholomew and the chain that linked him to Fu's bar. He did so metaphorically with a discussion about the woes of marriage. Meanwhile, Magna directed her vines to try and choke the demon. The result left Bartholomew sore and agitated. Held in position, his other hand reached over and grabbed the chain on which he started to pull. Bartholomew's first tug on the chain didn't seem to cause anything to happen. With the second, something large started to surface. With the third, a large hole was left in the ground where Fu's bar had been, which had now been tossed into the air. Using both hands embracing himself against the weight aided by Magna's vines, Bartholomew swung the makeshift weapon over his head like a ball and chain. From the outside, Fu's bar just looked like a large square block of earth, roughly the size of a small house, next to where the chain connected to the block was a wooden door, and a painted sign over it naming the prison tavern. Did the patrons inside feel that they were being spun in circles through the air? The companions still on the outside could not be sure, but they hoped that their allies on the inside were oblivious to the fact that the establishment they were enjoying was about to be used to crush them. Bartholomew's demonic and judgmental gaze stared back and forth between Igaris and Magna, trying to decide which should be crushed first. Magna's vines were an annoyance, that was true, but Igaris's words struck a note that was far more annoying than the physical restraints were. Rocky had his own problems to deal with as the spinning chain was causing a vortex that sucked up his sand particles and blew them like wind, scattering his bits all over the place. Each swoosh, as the building circled, gathered more speed and momentum. Rather than picking one target, Bartholomew swung Fu's bar close to the ground in an attempt to clobber it into both Magda and Agaris in one swipe. Apparently, Bartholomew's outer ugliness extends deep, deep inside as well. Despite Rocky's best efforts, there is no trace of the demon's inner beauty, our better half, or even a pebble of good. This much is clear when the ex-bishop starts whirling the prison around recklessly, thoughtlessly endangering all of its inhabitants, to say nothing of Igoris and Magna. The elemental instinctively reaches out, intending to push his friends out of the way, but his plan is quickly dashed by the deadly vortex that spins sand every which way, threatening to tear him apart. His diamonds strain to maintain the resonances that are essential to his integrity, but it feels like they will crack at any moment. Somehow, Rocky will need to overcome Earth's oldest enemy, air. The worst, most frustrating part is that there's nothing to fight against. It is the complete opposite of Earth. With nothing to feel, nothing to react to, how does one defeat an invisible, intangible foe? Powerful gusts fling his sandy particles up, down, and around, creating a chaotic maelstrom that pulls him apart every time he tries to collect himself. 
The parts of him that are close to the chain or to the prison cling desperately to the material, like fish sheltering with flotsam. A thin, sandy skeleton forms along the chain to the comforting block of earth that is Fu's bar. But it's not enough. How can he gather the bits of him that are floating elsewhere? Fortunately, Rocky is not the only thing being blown about the sky. Caught in the whirlwind, dancing like a capricious kite, is his beloved blanket. Whatever sand is nearby seeks shelter within its soft embrace, until there is enough to form slender fingers that tug gently at the fabric's edge. Now he just needs to remember some friendly advice from long ago. Dude, chill. Just go with the flow. Feel the wave. Let it do all the work until you go, whoa, this is totally gnarly. Then just give it a little nudge. No need to push, dude. That's the difference between riding a radical bomb and total wipeout. Whoa. With a little pull here and a little push there, a small sandy figure floats above the fray, swooping and soaring as it collects wayward clouds of sand into itself, and eventually two diamonds too. By using his soft blanket as a paraglider, Rocky is able to collect most of himself back together until his mass is too great, at which point he dives down onto the revolving prison, using his weight to drive Fu's bar toward the ground. There, reunited with the sand on the building and the chain, the Terran reassembles into his rocky form. HELP! As soon as he can, Rocky cries out, his deep, booming voice like an urgent thunderclap. He calls not just Igorus and Magna, but to his friends inside the prison, for who knows if the half-elf and witch will need help themselves. Without thinking beyond the immediate need to free those trapped inside, Rocky presses one of his diamonds firmly against the wooden door, then spins it like a drill bit as he tries to cut open an exit for his friends. Demon swung the building round and round, picking up momentum and power with each rotation. It grinned a toothy grin at her and Igaris and brought the unlikely flail crashing towards them. With a dizzying panic, Magna launched herself aside using her stick to gain all the momentum she could manage, but it wasn't enough. The broadside of the weaponized tavern met her midair with a sickening crunch and sent the old dwarf flying like a ragdoll. She struck the tumbled ruins of the chapel and fell to the ground. And there she lay, floating in a dark pool somewhere just beyond consciousness. Everything was vibration and confusing sound, and slowed there were colours and shapes. 
Was she crying? They had cried a lot that day. Luce had cried because his mother, a woman he remembered being so strong and fiercely in love with the world, had become a babbling, unwashed old crone, talking to animated rocks and eating soup made from tree bark. Magna had cried because her son was easily her age already, if not older, doomed by his father's genes. He had always had Celine's eyes, but now, framed in wrinkles and silver hair, they were almost too painful and beautiful to look at. Luce had told her about his adventures with the guild a life spent in service of others, foiling evil plans, slaying monsters, and downing giant demons, all in a day's work. He'd convinced her to return to Harford with him, and after a great deal of arguing, she'd agreed, but now that they had come to the border of the swamp, she dithered. Come on, Mum, it's alright, it'll be okay. Ah, what do you know? Just get out of here and leave me be, I'm perfectly happy here, you brat! She turned around to shuffle back towards the little hut. Luce sighed but it wasn't like he'd been expecting her to come easily. Fine then, it would need to be a taste of her own tough love. Ah, don't be such a wimp, ma'am! You don't know what's good for you. He marched back over to block her way and then made a shooing motion to get her going. Let's go, come on, you're coming with me! Magna lifted her stick to hit him, but Celine's kind eyes stopped her. She glared at him for what felt like an eternity, then with an infuriated huff she turned around and started heading back towards the waiting world. All right, I'm coming, I'm coming, don't get your knickers in a twist, Magna growled as the memory melted away. Her thoughts had reassembled themselves into coherence, but there was an unbearable ringing in her ears. It had been a while since she'd taken a hit like that. Her tongue found a hole in her jaw where several teeth should have been, and she spat out a mouthful of blood. Magna got to her feet. With all the steadiness of a toddler riding a baby giraffe, and a lightning bolt of pain shot out from her shoulder down the whole left side of her body. Finally, there was a soreness in her ribs and a disconcerting rattle in her chest. A punctured lung, perhaps? Did she have a tincture for that? Don't be such a wimp, she told herself. The battered old dwarf made her way over to where her staff was lying. With each step, she powered through the pain and dizziness, defying the crashing waves that buffeted her. By the time the gems were glowing, the pain was just background noise. The demon still wore a scarf of her vines, though they were limp and lifeless without her magic to fuel them. With a great effort, she re-established her connection. Enough of this now! She bellowed, and directed her vines to their grim target. The green-brown tendrils snaked up from Bartholomew's throat and began to force themselves into every available orifice. They wreathed up his nose and into his ears, seeking soft tissue inside to lacerate and blend. Where Rocky's diamonds had begun the cutting work, they pushed into the soft wetness of his eyes and tried to force themselves past his jagged teeth and slide down his throat. Fed up and exhausted, Magna channeled every ounce of magic she had left into the vines. Twisting, seething, and growing, they sought his insides. Whoosh! The sound of the whirring building met was hard to describe, but whoosh is how Igorus would have spelled it. He began to duck out of the way, then changed his mind at the last moment and dashed towards the demon. Yes, Igorus the drunk cowardly mage and extravagant storyteller was running towards danger. He was disappointed to have so few witnesses. With a last minute twist, he threw himself into a slide between the demon's ankles, lightly scratching himself on the last few grains that Rocky was still collecting together. The scratches were nothing serious. The bruised ribs where the demon almost trod on him were, though, and it was only Igorus's last lingering magic that saved him a much worse injury. 
Magna was not so lucky. Without the lingering protection of Egris' spell, she had been hit, and hit hard, by the soul prison. It had knocked her flat, like she was accustomed to do to trainees. If the situation had been less dire, they might all have laughed at the irony. Egris felt a pang of guilt. He had been so busy attacking the demon that he had neglected to watch out for his friends. Heroism was all well and good, but teamwork was more effective. And Rocky had faced a different challenge. Stone through sand would not harm him, but the vortex that was building up could scatter him far and wide, leaving him unable to help. But the elemental was well prepared and pulled himself together. Icarus smiled. Rocky would not appreciate the pun on the figure of speech, so someone else would have to laugh for him. With a view to teamwork, Igoris paid more attention to what the others were doing. Magna's vines were clawing at the bishop, trying to tear him apart, while Rocky had shifted to opening up the prison itself, clinging to the structure as it whirled through the air. How to help? Igoris could do little from here to break the door down, nor did he feel directly able to harm the enemy. It was time to revert to old habits protecting his team long enough for them to do the hard work. He felt a pang of shame, resolving to learn, at least a little, how to fight more effectively himself, just in case he was one of a small crew of rescuers once again. A silver tongue was all well and good, as was an encyclopedic knowledge of poetry, but the world needed a more direct approach. Not now, though. Now was the time for courage, and Igorus could help with that. Magna, he called. What are the roots that clutch? What branches grow out of this stony rubbish? The poets always have an opinion, and there is always the right answer. Your vines are the answer here. Tear down this villain. Let the vines and brambles do their work. Let him crumble and rot before his time. And Rocky, you are more a hero than you realise. You can make the poem true. You can turn the words to reality. I can only remind you of them. Over the tumbled graves about the chapel. There is the empty chapel, only the wind's home. It has no windows and the door swings. Go for the hinges, Rocky. The door is too large, too thick. But break the weak point, and the rest will fall. And Igorus turned his mind to the future, to what they would do after the bishop was defeated, and layered on shield after armour, armour after shield for his friends. With a surge of inspiration, he stopped quoting others, stopped telling other ancient tales, and made his own. With this vision, this courage, this dream, they would prevail. Think of courage when you think of me. Think of me, afraid, but standing fast. See only life when you see my grave, for swamp and stone outlast. Dream of futures when you face our foe. Dream of pleasant, sunlit lands. I stand before him, at his foot, staggering with empty hands. 
see an ending when you look on me. The drunkard, standing, terrified. I will not run when you look on me, for hope has not yet died. Igorus paused. He needed a moment to collect his thoughts. The poem so far had been found unforced, but the last stanza would be harder. He needed to wrap up his themes, to bring it together, to draw the strands of the magic together and tie them into a net he could cast wide. The meter was constraining him, forcing him into a pattern, but it built tension in the spell. And if he could balance those two needs, your futures shine bright in my mind. There are homes, travels, companions, friends. I cannot see their places, their names. Only that this is not your end. He was dissatisfied with the result. His own verse had never been as fluid, as compelling as he would like. But for something improvised in the heat of battle, it would suffice. He believed truly in its underlying message. The companions would not fall here. This would not be the end of their tales. There would be a future. He only hoped he would be there to see it. <laughs>